Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Since the first of the year, everything's been like, felt like uh, 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 start, start, stop, start, stop between surgery and other speakers and and uh, and then weather and weather patterns and stuff. Uh, I do I say that by way of uh, uh, trying sort of introducing, uh, reintroducing. It's like I've introduced it like three times already. But we're going to begin a journey this year. Um, that titled Highway to Grace, which uh, is a book by, by a guy named Steve Wheeler. And uh, it's, it's about a church that went through a transition time of embracing the gospel of grace a number of years ago. And what happened with that church, the really good things that happened, and then the, the things that they found out. And so I spoke with the elders and I went, wow, this is a good blueprint for us and for our journey and what we've gone through. And, uh, and so we're beginning that, and today's like a second introduction because one of the starting places is in understanding covenant theology and covenant, what it actually means to covenant with God, and the journey into discovering what it means to be a New Testament or New Covenant believer in Jesus and that it actually does have this deep foundation because uh, there's a lot of, if, if you've probably noticed, if you get on social media at all or you get, you pick up a, uh, a, a, even Christian magazines or if you go to the Christian bookstore, there seems to be this little bit of a clash going on over uh, what some have deemed, used a term, uh, one author used a term hypergrace, and then another guy in, in refuting that wrote a book called Hypergrace. So you go, which hypergrace book do I read? And is hypergrace a real term? And that, well, it sort of is and sort of isn't. Um, it comes from, from uh, a book of Romans in which it talks about uh, where sin abounds, grace does more abound. And that word more is actually, in the Greek, it can actually be translated hyper or super. It's uh, super abounds. And so there's some discussion about that. So I, what I thought would be good, and that's why we're doing the Grace Talks also, is for us to just go on a journey, a journey of discovering. And I haven't looked at this stuff for a lot of years. Maybe you haven't either. Maybe you know this stuff, you know, 20 times better than I do and and everything, but go on the journey with me. Uh, listen to the scriptures. Take down some notes. Relook at some of the scriptures because we're not going to have time to read all the scriptures. But some of the scriptures, as we go through this, um, go through them, search them out. Look at what it's saying. God has always engaged man, humankind, through covenant, and uh, and and the idea of covenant. And covenant is not man's way of reaching God. Man is always, from the, from the time the infection, the virus of sin entered into Adam and Eve, man has been trying to hide from God, not pursue him. Without the initiation of God in our lives, we don't go after God. Covenant is God's way of coming after us. 
of his revealing himself to us for the, uh, and you look at the covenant, the, the covenant in the New Testament that's known theologically as a covenant of grace, it's really about the connection of life and salvation through Jesus Christ to us. His purpose for coming, living, dying on a cross as a man, and being raised from the dead. You should never talk about the cross without taking the idea of the whole covenant because Jesus' death without his resurrection is purposeless. It's just another guy dying, even if he said he died for all of us. Resurrection, because it it says this in Romans 5, he was raised for our justification. Now what that word justification means is for our righteousness. If Jesus had not raised from the dead, salvation would be pointless. Just really would. So the understanding that he not only raised from the dead, and then he ascended in bodily form, and the good news is is he's coming back one day. He really is. The angels, uh, I don't know if you've detailed and looked at that story before, but there were... uh, approximately 500 people. This wasn't just the disciples. 500 people that watched him ascend with angels standing there and say, why are you looking in shock and awe? Don't you know that he's going to come back the same way? Wouldn't you like to have been there? Do you know what's really strange about human nature? Just before he rose, he said to them, now go and tarry, wait, in Jerusalem till the promise of my spirit comes. Do you know how many actually did that out of those 500? 125. Can you imagine that? You watch him go up, and then you choose whether you're going to believe it or not. You just kind of go, ah. But then I think of my own life, How many times God has done incredible things? You want to know know one of the things I've wrestled with right now? My stupid shoulder. God heals my foot a couple of years ago. Miraculously, I've never had a bit of pain in my foot again. It's done no swelling. It has an artificial joint. I don't even even think about it. He miraculously heals that. And I'm going, what, the shoulder's too big for you? Maybe you don't pray like I do. I'm going, foot, shoulder, come on. But the struggle is not in God. Who's it in? Just like those of the not 125 that didn't go wait in the room. We're weak, aren't we? It's hard. We're we're understanding. But I will tell you this. God makes himself known through all of it. One of the good things and not that I can point to in not getting healed miraculously, instantaneously in my shoulder is I got about four to five weeks of good rest and I read, I think, nine books during that time. So I just go, ha, ah, maybe I needed some help up here, huh? What is covenant? Basically, it's a promise. It's an agreement. It's a contract between two parties. 
When it's between two people or parties or entities, it's known as bilateral. When it's with God, it's known as unilateral. Once again, it's God initiated. Now, many theologians, I will tell you this, have different views on the motivation of God initiating covenant. Why he did it. Why would he even do that? I think one of the things that all you have to do is look at this with an understanding because we tend to forget this because we focus something in the weakness of our humanness, and I think it's because we're so familiar with it, is we focus on sinfulness. We tend to know that, don't we? Or did you all quit sinning? I gave it up for... Here's an incredible thing about covenant and the word of God. Before Adam and Eve experienced the great death and the great problem with sin, Christ had the answer. What? Remember, God's not stuck in time like we are. And he knows all things. You have to look at the attributes of God. Now, here, the funny thing about God is he knows he's God. It's, it's us who have doubts. Before Adam fell, Jesus is. Do you understand? You've got to get that down in the framework, otherwise you won't understand covenant. Before Adam and Eve even thought about taking a bite of the crispy, Jesus knew he would be the answer. And it's, it's even, in the new covenant declares it this way, behold the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Before he breathed rocky mountains into existence, the cross was there. No wonder we sang, oh, the cross. Oh, the cross. No wonder for saints through the centuries, it's been such a stalwart thing. I know in our finiteness, it's hard to understand that part of the covenant. But I tell you what, if you can get a hold of it, it brings such an assurance into your heart and life that before mankind even fell, God was making a promise. And he was going to bring it to pass. And it came to pass and it will come to pass, and will keep coming to pass, and we will live in this covenant forever and ever and ever. So I have a joke for you, sort of. Knock, knock. Jesus. Oh, you're God. The one who's really crazy about you. One who loves you so much that he thinks about you all the time. Oh, by the way, I wanted to come over and hang out today, so I stopped and picked up takeout. Any chance you'd let me in so we could hang out for a while and I could tell you how much I love you? That's covenant. That's covenant. And we say it a different way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And any who, any who will open, I will do what? I will come in and sup. And man, we, we turned that into supper time. 
But the word sup actually means the same as habitate. I will come in. I will make my home with you. I will put my feet up on your couch. We will turn on and watch the Chiefs win the Super Bowl next year. We will hang out. We will have a good time. And I will be with you. That's covenant. That's the idea of covenant. It's literally God made a contract. Now this is what's interesting because covenant means this. A covenant holds God to his promise to you by himself. It's a covenant within himself. God can't swear by anything greater, so he swears by himself. Actually, in all the covenants, even the one that was conditional. In the Old Testament... God made, actually, if you really look at covenant theology, it goes all, he even did with Adam and Eve, though the word covenant is not used, it's implied. But probably the main ones that we know of is Noah. He made a covenant with Noah after the earth was flooded that he would never do that again. He made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I will make a great nation of you. He made a covenant with Moses. So to Noah... In promising that he wouldn't destroy the earth with the flood, he set a rainbow in the sky. There's always, there, there's always a sign that goes with covenant. It's really interesting. With Abraham, with the covenant that he promised Abraham that he would become the ancestor not only of a great nation, but that all, what's all mean? It means Everybody, all, all means all in the word of God. When you see that, but we kind of like don't pay much attention to it. All the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. Not just his genetics, so he was going to bring the covenant promise through his genetics, through his pedigree, through his family line, but we didn't understand that that family line was going to have a gigantic switch in it. And probably even in that day, they couldn't really understand what God meant by all the families of the earth would be blessed through him and through his family line. We'll look at it in detail later. By the way, he sealed that covenant with another sign. Didn't happen right at first, but later uh, it was through circumcision. Later it was adopted into another covenant to Moses. And, uh, and that wasn't the only sign, but they, they adopted it as, a, as a being of the genetics of Abraham. But to Moses, God said that the Israelites, those who were born of Abraham's seed, would reach the promised land that was given to Abraham, but it became conditional. They had to obey a set of rules, not at God's. This is a really strange covenant because it wasn't at God's initiation. God said, come up to the mountain and hang out with me. And they said, we're scared and your voice is really big and we see all this stuff and it scares us. Moses, go find out what he wants and we'll do it. But he never wanted to covenant with them that way. He wanted to give them a very similar covenant that he gave to Abraham They didn't want to have relationship. They wanted to have rules. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. 
I remember God's infinite needs going, hoy ve, no you won't. You won't. Because you can't do it on your own. In the New Testament, God promised salvation to those who would believe in Jesus Christ, his son. That literally is the covenant. That they would receive salvation for whoever believed that Jesus came in the flesh, died for them, and was raised for them. Andrew Murray, the great South African writer. How many of you read Andrew Murray? Anything that he's written? Good. More of you need to. He's an incredible author, 19th century into the 20th century, and, and more than a theologian, probably better known as a Bible expositor. And he wrote this, and I, I wanted to just share it with you because he wrote a book about the two covenants, and in part of the introduction, I thought, we need to just hear this. So he said it this way, in his infinite condescension to our human weakness and need, for there's no possible way in which men pledge their faithfulness, God has sought to not make use of, in other words, he, he, he tried everything that he could with humankind to give us a perfect confidence in him and the full assurance of all that he is. In his infinite riches and power as God, he has promised to do things for us. It is with this view he has consented to bind himself by his own covenant, as if he could not be trusted. We'll find that in Abraham very shortly. Blessed is the man who truly knows God as his covenant God, who knows what the covenant promises him. What unwavering confidence of expectation it secures that all its terms will be fulfilled to him. What a claim and hold it gives him on the covenant-keeping God himself. When God makes covenant within himself, he gives it to you so that you can hang on to God. It's stunning. To many a man who has never thought much of the covenant... A true and living faith in it would mean the transformation of his whole life. This is why this covenant teaching is so important to understand it. Much of the covenant and the full knowledge of it, of what God wants to do for him, the assurance that it will be done by an almighty power, the being drawn to God himself in personal surrender and dependence and waiting to have it done, all this would make the covenant the very gate of heaven. May the Holy Spirit give us some vision of its glory. That's from his book, The Two Covenants. Here's characteristics of a covenant. There's patterns in it. We see it all the time. It's, it's associated with how God does covenant. And the, the Hebrew word, and we're not going to go, just for the sake of time and detail, the Hebrew word for covenant actually uh, implies and means that there is a cutting of something and a spilling of blood in some way. 
that it's, it's normally associated with a sacrifice in which an animal is cut in, literally in two. It's divided in half, and that's what the covenant means. And you find that with all the covenants, including the new one, as Jesus was cut in two. And God's covenants are always confirmed by an oath. You can find that in Deuteronomy 4.31, Psalm 89.3. And it's also to be accompanied by a sign. You see the rainbow, Genesis 9. Um, the, the other signs we'll get into in detail, including circumcision and what that means, what it represents. Um, if, you're, if you're looking at what the other thing is it is, is God calls this within himself his own counsel. It's amazing. He looks at covenant and, I don't know, we're not God and he's infinite and we're finite. But he counsels within himself over his covenant. Well, does God change? Does he feel different things? No, I don't think we can anthropomorphize God in that way. But I know this, that God in his word says that the covenant is a counsel to himself. It's like um, with your smartphone and that little note uh, app that you have, you write yourself a note and say, do not destroy Lloyd today because you swore to lay down your life. Uh, Well, you don't find my humor in that. God uses it. And he buys, this is what's amazing about God. And you have to remember, God's outside of our little box. Most of us like to take, I've used this, this image for years, but we take theology, doctrine, understanding, traditions and teachings, and we build a box. And then we tend to take a little dot and put it in the center of that box, and we call that dot God. In reality, we build the box, and the little dot is you, and God's way outside of the box. God can do, if you don't believe this in your heart, you don't have an understanding of God, God can do whatever he wants, including violating our doctrines. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, you believe so strongly in the free will of man, huh? What happened to Saul before he became Paul? Even more, knocked off his horse. And he was on his way to do a little more persecution, killing, and maiming of believers. That was his will. Now I ask you, did he choose to get down off his horse? Which speaks of the flesh. And God goes... Now, what's really interesting is you, you look at that New Testament passage, and you've got to go, Paul's just like mine. Because his question, when God shows up as a blinding light, is he says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> you ever pulled that one? I have, many a times. Oh, is this you, God? God's God. He's outside. God's bigger than what we can understand. But we use our understanding to know that which is unknowable. 
we learn of God. We understand God and his word is there for us. So we get glimpses into who he is. And this is the amazing thing. God's willing. I'm speaking in weak human terms here. To bind himself by a promise to you. Notwithstanding the box. Is this making sense? This is like the idea of covenant and understanding covenant and what they, all of them were, what they meant, how they worked in life. It's so desperately important for us to know and understand. In new covenant theology, it frees us to enter into the promises that came through that very covenant of what Jesus did for us. It frees us from dead works, self-righteousness, the fear of loss. You know, you look, much of the letters that, that Paul wrote to the churches and believers was given to them as a clear direction for actually understanding the new covenant. And he speaks much of two of the old covenants, the Abrahamic one and the Mosaic one. Jesus, in coming, dying, and resurrecting on our behalf, instituted for us a new way for us to enter into relationship with God that didn't exist through all eternity in so many of the letters. Ephesians 1 expounds upon it. It just, Paul goes immediately into the heavenlies. Wouldn't you like to have hung out with him? As you read his letters, you go, how did you get that? God chose to use him. So much of New Covenant understanding theologically is referred to as the Pauline Revelation. The Pauline Revelation. Now, what does that have to do with covenant? Everything, because Paul was the primary person that God used to explain what his cross did. It's so stunning because he wasn't there. He, he was an apostle that was added later, if you will, and it was actually the Lord. If you read what happened for, for his years in the desert and his training, God came to him and started revealing this stuff. And it had to have been stunning because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law inside and out, and he was a teacher of it. And Jesus starts filling him in until he ends up being the primary writer of the new covenant. Now, does that mean he's greater than the other apostles? I don't think so. But listen, you need to read what Paul said. And then you need to, just like I told you a year ago, spend about a year in Romans 5 through 8. Because it it is a deep instruction to all of us as believers, not just the Roman church, but deep instruction to our hearts over what this covenant is and what it does. Now, for the sake of our studies, I'm going to be using a book. If you ever want to, uh, like, get it on your Kindle or download it, it's by a, by a guy named Chad Mansbridge, and the book's called He Qualifies You. And so he took the idea of covenant as a, as a, as a text study, and he focuses primarily on, the, on three of the covenants, on Abraham, on Moses, and on Jesus, and the understanding of those covenants. Remember that covenants are a promise to God that he swears to us. And so even as we look at this, I want to read a passage of scripture 
in which Paul relates, he, he compacts it in just a few verses, you know, and you have to remember this, you know, we didn't used to have chapter numbers and letter numbers, but this is from 2 Corinthians, and it starts in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. And you go, what is he talking about? You have to keep reading. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Now you got to hear this word. In Christ. The promises of God to you and I as New Testament believers, that means from Adam forward are yes. It's amazing. And so through, and he says, and through him the amen. What's he saying? He's not only declaring to you that his promise to you is yes, he said the amen that you have in your heart, oh, that came from me too. Just so you don't think that this is some sort of arrangement that you made. The very ability for you to say yes to God's promises of yes came from God. Now who gets the glory? God. That's where the amen comes from. Is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Who? Who makes you stand firm? What? But, but it's my life. I get to live it. In Christ, it's in him. One of the things I always struggle with about sharing my testimony is that guy died. You know how he always, it's funny, the shortest part of your testimony is your resurrection. Your new life. You spend 27 minutes telling the old part. Oh, I did this and this and this and this. I'm guilty of it all the time. We almost sort of brag in it a little bit, you know. To prove how worthy or how unworthy we were. And I did all these things. And I was the most wretched of the wretcheds. You even find Paul a little bit falling into that trap. In reality, that guy's dead. Paul said, it's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. In him. Everything is in him and through him. So now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. This is new covenant, by the way. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What do you think he's talking about, about the what is to come? Resurrection. How many of you think it's about heaven? Come on, give me a hand. How many of you think that that's about heaven? It's about right now. It, 
It's about this afternoon. It's about Monday when you got to go back in and make a few shekels. It's about next Friday. It's about your kids growing up. It's about going to college and getting the degree. It's about all that. Not just a promise. We're now eternal beings. Right now. This is stunning. The promise of what God is going to promise is being fulfilled in us in Christ daily. Still tracking with me? So let's put it the way Paul gave it in Athens. He said, oh, you have philosophers there? I tell you, this guy, this thing to the unknown God, I know who that God is. And let me let you in on a secret. In him we live and move and have our being. Whether we're rejoicing or suffering, whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, whether it's in birth or in death, whether it's in great want or great abundance. And then Matt Redman writes a song that says, oh no, you never let go. That's called covenant. God keeps covenant. So before we ever even understand what the covenants are, you have to understand that he keeps them. He won't turn away. This is incredible good news. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called this assurance of faith. So I freaked a few of you out because I said I believed in eternal security. Oh my. I think there's a big God that's way bigger than our ideas. And if your sin could keep you out of heaven, then your sin's greater than the work of the cross. It's not about what you do. Are there scriptures that are dangerous and and do cautions? Of course. But you know what they're centered in? What you believe. If you turn away from what you believed... Does that mean you'll lose it? And are you just saying two things out of both sides of your mouth? I don't know. God's God and he's way bigger. And I don't know what happens on the day that we stand before him. A lot of teachers think they do. In reality, we don't. Each of us get to experience that individually. But I think it's written there as a tension. It resides in a tension. Not so that you live in fear, but actually so you live in assurance. He won't let go of me. And it's not about what you do. If I keep believing in him, he won't ever let me go. That's why when you do something really horrible, you can run to him. You're forgiven. Run to him right now. He's already forgiven you. Run in there. That's why he writes in Hebrews 4, Come boldly to a throne of grace. That doesn't mean cavalier about what you did. It means this. He's a covenant God. You can come boldly. He won't reject you over what you did. That's what I mean by eternal security. When the end of the ages roll up, 
I don't know how you think and feel about covenant, but I know this, I'm going to be there. You want to join me? I'm going to be there. Abraham and Moses represent the very two great pre-Calvary covenants offered by God to humankind. These two covenants together with the covenant ratified by Jesus himself are actually discussed at great length in the New Testament. You know why? If we're New Testament believers, why are we going to go back and look at Abraham and look at Moses? Because Paul in his letters was addressing the confusion that happens in human hearts and in the hearts of believers back then who, you have to remember, when the church started, it was primarily a sect of Judaism. Until Paul and then Peter got pulled into it too, got told, no, 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 no. This covenant's bigger than that. This is for the whole world. This is way bigger. It's for the Gentiles too, and they're going to come in. So the believers, and especially the Jewish believers at that time say, yeah, but wait, wait a minute. What about our bloodline? What about the covenant that God made with Abraham? And what about the Moses covenant? So Paul spends much, actually about half of his letters to the New Testament believers writing to them so that they could gain understanding of those three covenants, how they work together and how two of them, one of them was still in play and the other one was becoming old, nay, obsolete, no, over with. That he fulfilled it completely. He didn't break promise. He filled it completely and pulled all of that into Christ, into a new covenant relationship with you based solely on this. His grace, his goodness towards you, it's a covenant of forgiveness. What does that mean? Jesus, that's why I did the knock-knock joke, stands at the door and knocks. Do you ever knock your door down? He did mine. Some people he doesn't. Mine he knocked down. Oh, he pursued me. He came after me. I didn't want him. I wanted new age stuff. I was reading books on everything from white witchcraft to, and you don't have to cast the demons out of me. Hopefully they're all gone. (laughs) But in my pursuit of higher plane knowledge, looking at metaphysical circus and you put whatever else you want in there and the way Native Americans viewed God and all these other things, everything but the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He sent a bunch of hippies after me in Tucson, Arizona with tracks. I knew what tracks were, especially those, those horrible chick tracks that were more anti-something-something something than something. We won't get into that today. Some of you will know what I'm talking about, a few of you old-timers. He came after me. I didn't want him. And at all costs, I was avoiding him. 
I wouldn't have opened the door. Matter of fact, I shut the door. I shut and locked a car door. And went upstairs, took a shower and got ready to go to a party that had illicit materials. It was payday and I had a few extra bucks in my pocket. And I came back out, unlocked my car and hopped in and there was a track on the dashboard of my car. How'd that get in there? I don't know. But he unlocked my door and he came after me. I still didn't want it. I grabbed it. It made me mad. And all the anger and pain and hurt of 22 years, though that doesn't sound long, but I had 22 years of hellish living. I had that thing crumpled up. I was so angry, I couldn't drive. Now, maybe you control your anger, and you do it well, and maybe you've never put a screwdriver through anything, and you've done anger management well in your life, but I didn't back then. I proved it well by breaking my face and my hands in fights. So I had that thing crumpled up, and I was too angry to drive. I was shaking. I went upstairs back to my, my, my barracks room, and I started pacing back and forth. I'll never forget it. And I threw that thing down and I said some bad cuss words. And I won't do them this morning. You don't need to say cuss words just for the thrill of getting to say them or shocking you. I won't do that. And I threw it down and I said, why in the blank don't you leave me alone? And I'm so smart, I figured it out. No, I went, wait a minute. If I'm yelling at somebody to leave me alone, that means somebody is after me. So I got down and dutifully unfolded the crazy track. It had nothing to do with my life. It was about some 18-wheel truck driver that ran over somebody because he had been drinking. You know, it was just one of those stupid track things. I don't remember the details of it. It just had the four spiritual laws in the back. And I probably wouldn't even use the four spiritual laws to preach the gospel today. But God interrupted because he had been knocking for quite a while saying, if you will open the door, I will come in and sup. And finally, when that didn't work, he went, bam, let's break that locked door open. Kid, I love you and I'll love you forever. And oh no, I will never let go. I'm here to tell you this day, right now, if you have any doubt about how much God loves you, throw it out the window. By covenant through Jesus Christ, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't care what you did or how you did it. Others do, and you will. And you will probably be required to get some things straightened out with that, because sin has consequences. But he paid for your sin, and he will keep paying, and it always works. And oh no, he never lets go. That's the glory of a covenant God. It will never be dependent on what you can do or what you can't do. It's always, he swore by himself and could swear by no one greater. I will love you forever, I promise. 
All he's looking for is yes. And if you're going, I don't know if I can believe that, just say, Jesus, put the yes in my heart. He'll do that too. I don't know if I can really handle this. Just ask him to put a yes in there. You want to pray a really dangerous prayer? Go ahead and violate my free will. I give you permission. Oh, hang on. Lots of stuff happens when you do that kind of stuff. I remember years ago, Brenda said something about, Lord, I want to learn patience. Patience comes through trials. So bring us trials. You know what Lloyd was doing? Because I only had confidence in the flesh. I'd like to say lots of bad things happen. A few bad things happen. The refrigerator broke the next day. The TV went out. And God was keeping covenant with us. The main thing to remember as we go through this, and next week we will start, begin to look in detail at Abraham. And it's because of this. The reason the Abrahamic covenant is so important to new covenant is because through the new covenant, you now receive the covenant of Abraham. You're connected. But I'm not Jewish. I know. But when you become a Christian, you become a son or daughter of the Most High God, and he is the descendant. And Paul makes a very bold statement in Galatians. You read it through Galatians 3 through 5. And he declares who the children of Abraham's promise is. And do you know who it is? Me. (laughs) You. It's me and you. Through Jesus Christ, the promise given to Abraham, which was an unconditional promise, is given to you. Paul goes so far to say, you are now children of promise, of that promise. This is incredible because you've got to understand something. Abraham was a mess up just like us. Do you know that he was never punished for it? Oh, it's, it's, listen, it's mind-blowing. You really start to study this. It's absolutely mind-blowing how God handled Abraham. It's stunning. I'm not saying he's going to give you children when you're 90. (laughs) What? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) But the promise that in blessing I will bless you your promise now in Christ through Abraham and he says you really you're the real children the people that accept the new covenant in Jesus are the real children of Abraham this is stunning I want you to go on a journey with it this will be a blast as we look at these things understanding Abraham's life because he's weak broken like you and we get to peek into five conversations 
Remember, Abraham lived a long time, but we only get to see five conversations that we know of. They're the ones that are revealed to us. Now, I may have a lot more, but there's five times that God visits with Abraham. You know what he does all, and this will, some of you were here before, so you don't, won't understand this statement. Do you know what he does? God makes a promise to him and he negotiates. Remember the teachings on don't negotiate? Are you negotiating? He's just like us. God says, I'll bless you just because you're you. And I'll make a great nation of you. And I'll give you land. And everybody that blesses you, I'll bless. If anybody curses you, I'll curse them. And I'm for you. Abraham's first response, oh, seeing that, what will you give me? You go, what? It's just a reflection of you and I. So this week, as you go about this week, begin to look at Abraham. But also think about this. Just pray this little prayer every day. Look in the mirror after you get up. Yeah, even with, you know, I was talking about Bill the cat hair that I have. Look in the mirror and say, today, and you put your name in it. Today, Lloyd Rendell's, you are highly favored and you are blessed with the blessings of Abraham and the blessings of Jesus. You are going to have an incredible day because you walk in the blessings of God. And start to declare the truth of God's covenant promise over you.